and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. What in the world didn't happen this weekend? Don't answer that. That's like Cliff Clavin on Final Jeopardy. There's a lot of ways that you go. I'm just saying, once again, sports fans are being treated to a plethora of sporting goodness. We got the Stanley Cup playoffs right. zigging when you zag. We got the NBA playoffs. It's even harder to predict. A classic Kentucky Derby. Formula One taking over North America. A crazy knockout at UFC 274. A prize, an actual prize fight people were interested in. Liverpool's quad takes a hit. Serie A drama down to the wire. Jays double dip. NHL coach was fired. Brad Gushu's winning again. Max Homa's got a title. And Carlos Alcaraz might be the best player on planet Earth. Jesse, what the hell am I missing here? How about Max Homa? Uh, sending one to your Doma. Uh, no, I got a couple things. I got a couple things that... You just uh, wanted to use... The rhyme. Yeah. Max Homa. No, you ripped it off. Oh, yeah, it's not me. Memphis that yeah. does that? Yeah. It's, yeah. Every Masters? Play every, yes, exactly. What's his name? You're the golf guy. You got to know his Chris name. Vernon. Chris, Chris Vernon. Chris Vernon. There you go. Yeah. To the Doma. Yeah, uh, yeah a couple Max things. Homer to the Doma. To the Doma. Uh, Canelo lost, Canelo which I know lost. he went up a, a weight class, but I'm a fan of greatness. I know you are too, and Canelo is one of the greats. So to yep. see him lose was pretty shocking. Uh, and then, but you're going to watch the rematch now. Of course, yeah. yeah. It's in he, the contract. I didn't so watch that fight. I am going to watch the rematch. Because you assumed, like I'm sure a lot of people, that Canelo was just going to win. Like he was a big favorite. He was minus 525, I think, going into the fight. I, I don't know that there's a fighter right now that just gets me to buy. Or, or find some other way to find it. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Immediately. Uh, how about this? Uh, the Fury Fighting Championship, uh, number 61, Joel Bauman won his middleweight fight and then had a pretty interesting interview. Have a listen to this. Last fight, I was tired. I was exhausted. I'm about to launch this NFT that's going to change the fight game. And I put in 30 all-nighters before that fight. I had herpes before that fight, two outbreaks in the span of a week. I'm here. I'm healthy. Let's go. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm sorry. What did, what, what did the dude say? That's not one. But that's a double dose of a herpes outbreak. So, um, fortunately, I don't know what he's talking about. What is a double outbreak? What does that do to you? Does anyone? Never mind. Don't answer the question. For me, one of the things that low key we missed this weekend, like I was at my, um, we took out my mom for Mother's Day, right? Yeah. yeah. And we decided that we would watch the Kentucky Derby kind of on the side, not really paying attention all that much. And I see the longest shot in the board, basically last horse in, basically win the Kentucky Derby in in Strike Rich. And then I saw the other angle of how strike right. rich rich strike excuse me won the kentucky derby and i was blown away like to see this from where that horse came from to what race that horse won jesus <laughs> you know what unfortunately the first thing i thought about when i saw this angle because uh i don't know what, what someone struck rich when he won nice by the way. nice what, what like we've been dealing with um, 
performance enhancers in horse racing a lot over the last little while. I know that's right. factored in. And, and you see an angle like that, and you see the horse who made it into the field on a Friday not, not on, with not, the races on a Saturday. Like, I don't know. That's a little interesting to like, me. I know that's been in the news lately, but anyone close to horse racing like I am knows that that's been there forever. They literally have Lasix, which is a drug to help horses run. Like, it's a part of the action. There are, it's been a part of the action forever. That's where they got steroids from, yeah. literally. It was amazing, though. Like, unbelievable performance. Fast little horse. Well, it's a fast little horse. Yeah. I, guess that, uh, I guess that'll bring it. Does that bring more people to horse racing? Yeah, I think you want to see what, what happens now in the Preakness, right? Because, I don't know, I said to you earlier. Um, like, it's a dying event, right? I know Drake was there, and I know Jack Harlow was there, but that's one of, like, horse racing is one of the, like, if you were to lay down the things that have been hurt by the 21st century. <laughs> horse racing, boxing. Yeah. I mean. And they both had pretty good weekends. Yeah, they did. But that's I right. I, but I don't know that that's going to bring more people into the Preakness. Well, you you don't Belmont. think so? You don't think so? Like, the uh, chance that an 80-to-1 horse in the Kentucky Derby might win two races and then and then I mean it's on for the Belmont if he happens to win at the Preakness but I'll be watching now will you yeah oh, yes nice. definitely all right we got a lot to get to as you can tell Kevin BX Eric Francis Carolyn Cameron Ben Nicholson Smith will all pop by to help us navigate through it all starting with the Leafs and the Oilers in first things first and Jesse Rubinoff so let's get it started my favorite horse of all time hoof hearted nice uh, okay, obviously uh, there was a lot going on this weekend. It, it was a roller coaster of emotions for Leafs and Oilers fans. Both fan bases were riding high after dominating wins on Friday, but it all came crashing back down on Sunday in Tampa. Steven Stamko scored one minute into the game, and the Lightning led five zip early in the second, which was the end of the night for Jack Campbell, 7 3 the final, while the Oilers were shut out by Jonathan Quick and the Kings in LA. 4-0. Just looking at my timeline, I know the fans are worried. Who are you more concerned about, the Leafs or the Oilers? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Yeah, it is, a, it is a loaded question. There's a lot in there. I feel yeah. like, a, do you not feel like you could give the Oilers a bit more of a pass, considering the way they played the previous two games? I mean, you outscore them 14-2. You're not expecting that to continue, although both teams were lackluster, yeah. Oilers and Leafs, in the way that they came out. But I think... The Oilers get a, it's not a pass, but they get a bit more leeway here than the Leafs who have the defending two-time champs. That's right. Kind of sort of against the ropes at 2-1. Like, listen, I think most people thought the Oilers could beat the Kings, and that doesn't alleviate them from some sort of pressure, but they had just played two really good games before that. Mm -hmm. The Leafs know they're in a dogfight. Mm -hmm. They know they're in a bar fight and that they're going to have to come out because they're facing the two-time defending champs, a team that a lot of people thought should be favorites in this series, even though the Leafs had home ice, and laid an absolute egg on the road with a chance to put a stranglehold on the series. Like, that, to me is a little bit more concerning than what you saw in Los Angeles. Well, the question is, how do you come out like that with an opportunity to put the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions on the ropes? And this has been obviously a theme over the last number of years with the Toronto Maple Leafs when they have the opportunity to really do something significant in the first round. They have a hard time doing it. This, I think this team plays 
when they win, it looks really good because they're really skilled and they're fast and it's beautiful to watch. But when they lose, there's not a lot of pushback. And I think that's something that you saw last night with Tampa. So how do you come out so flat in a game like that? I mean, that's basically what I was asking off the top. Like, how do you end up in that spot against that team? And it's just who you are. Like, the Nylander, uh, Eric Chernak situation in the corner came to represent what happened in that game. And to me, it's a little too late. This is just symbolic of what the Leafs are going through right now when you quit on a play like that. But that had nothing to do with the Leafs being down 5 nothing. Like, I don't even know that you see the difference. This might be the most damning. Do you see a huge difference between when the Leafs win and when the Leafs lose from effort? No. From physicality? From fight? Or do you just see them scoring goals? Yeah, that's what I mean. You just see them scoring goals and it looks good and everyone's happy because they're winning games. But if, if I mean, you're watching the Leafs all year, that's not the first time Nylander's done that. It's not like all of a sudden he's in the playoffs now and he's afraid to go in the corner. Like What's been happening is, is the way they play is he goes into the corner, he tries to pickpocket the defenseman after the defenseman gets in there first. And whether you like it or you don't like it, that is what a lot of the Leafs skill players do in the corner. And when you're losing in a game like they were a losing last night. A lot of the Leafs night, skill players do that in the corner? Well, Matthews is an expert at pickpocketing. So, I mean, he's a little bit more physical, no, obviously, than Nylander. I mean, it was horrible. I, I, I can't defend what happened last night. But I am saying that that is part of the, the skill element to their team. Nylander doesn't go into the corner no, I think and it's bang. just Nylander is what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. I mean, what do you do if you're a teammate of Nylander? Like, what do you say to him? No, no, but are you saying that other Leaf players do that or just Nylander does that? Like, because that to me is if your whole team is doing that, you can't win. I don't think their whole team is doing that. I don't think Matthews is doing that. I don't think Marner is doing that. But if you think that, then let's have that conversation because I don't think you can win doing that. Now, if it's just Nylander, and let me be honest here, mm-hmm. Leaf fans, like, I know you want to rip on them. I know that's symbolic of what happened last night. I know that's symbolic of a lot of things that you hate about your own team, which is why it's so frustrating, but that was Phil Kessel, right? So if Nylander is your lead dog, like Phil Kessel was your lead dog, and you chased him out of town, then there's a problem with this team. But Nylander is like number three, number four on the list. And when Phil Kessel was number three or number four on the list, he won two cups with Pittsburgh, right? He also chased Nazem Kadri out of town because you couldn't win with Nazem Kadri. And now one of the biggest rumors out there is that you need Nazem Kadri back on this team. So, like, be careful what you do with this Leaf fans. And I'm not trying to be harsh to Leaf fans. I'm trying to be harsh on if you have one guy doing that, that's okay. If you got five guys doing that, you got a problem. And that's why I'm asking you to clarify because if they do have five guys doing that, I don't think they're beating the Tampa Bay Lightning. I do think it's a team thing. I don't think Nylander is the only one who does that because that's just not the way they play. They don't go into the corner looking to win battles physically. That's not what they do. And you saw last night they that lost every that, si- that, that one was egregious. That was awful. No, he, that was, was, he, he was going to get on there the first. Play, yes, he did. And he'd he made a business decision not to go into yes. the corner, which I don't even mind at 5 nothing. Like, the, the amount of people that were pissed off at that we're not taking into account all of the things that go into that. They were just saying, like, this is symbolic of what we hate about our own team. Yeah. I, I don't think they have guys that quit 
like like you saw like that. That's not what I'm saying. Right. I just think from from a physicality perspective, and it's part of the problem with the loss last night. They don't push back at all. Like you you, you didn't see anything last night. I know they technically they outhit the Lightning last night, but when you're watching and they're losing, it's like where is the pushback coming from? Where is the grit? Where is the heart? And you just don't see it. Their wins look great. Their losses look horrible. Now, this doesn't mean that they can't come out in game five and win, right? They're still an incredibly skilled hockey team, but they don't have that, you know what it is? They don't have that switch. They haven't proven that they have that switch like Tampa does when they come out after a loss, that they've proven they because might, they won. But they just might be good enough to not need that switch. And mm-hmm. that's... That's what's so frustrating about watching the Toronto Maple Leafs is that you see the abundance of skill. And we'll talk to Kevin Bieksa about whether or not we need that switch um, from our Stanley Cup champions. But the Leafs have this abundance of offensive skill that can play their way out of situations where they might not work as hard as the other team. Mm -hmm. But I thought last night was a prime example of what happens when you don't have that switch and when you don't have that everyday consistent effort because that's a tough place to lay an egg game four of a series against the two-time defending cup champs like maybe they just are who we thought they were and that speaks to all of the conversations that we have had all year and now they have three games to prove that that's not the case absolutely and nobody really showed up last night uh, Tavares still an issue and Justin Hall caught a lot of flack uh, in the first shift of the game. Um, but I want to get to the Edmonton Oilers as well because they uh, definitely deserve the conversation. Uh, was there anything that stuck out to you about the Oilers' loss in terms of... Uh, yeah, Mike Smith. Yeah, he's still playing well. Yeah, like, uh, I, I know that there are a lot of Oilers fans that probably don't want to hear this today, but I thought the fact that Mike Smith still played well was important. And obviously you want wins along the way, But you and I went into this series saying, if Mike Smith is good, the Oilers will win. Mm -hmm. And for the vast majority of this series, Mike Smith has been good. And so I think there is some solace in that for Oiler fans. And also the fact that you just outscored him 14-2 to in the previous two games. Yeah. Right? Like that, you you were able to turn it on. Okay, so you can deal with perhaps... Uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl going cold for a game and say how many times is that going to happen even if it is Philippe Deneau on the other side right I, I don't think it's going to happen very often uh, they've got four games they've got 10 points combined although Philippe Deneau and Trevor Moore <laughs> have star. nine points yeah Deneau's a star again and playoffs. Trevor Moore yeah like did the Kings fleece the Leafs <laughs> it certainly seems that way it, it's unbelievable and those are guys that work their ass off um, will they have the skill to beat the Edmonton Oilers? That'll be the question. But I think one, like if you're asking me for one piece that I saw that might mean something yeah. to Oilers fans, I would say that Mike Smith is still playing well. I think that's important. One thing I quickly want to get your take on before we move on to the Blue Jays, uh, Leon Dreisaitl, I know it's, it's tough to criticize someone who has three goals in the series, but he's only got two even-strength goals in his last 14 games, and the Oilers were out-attempted 24-13 in 12 minutes with Dreisaitl at five on five, like, are you at all concerned about the five on five play when it comes to the Edmonton Oilers, or is it just one game, chalk it up, move on, go home, and you are you have more top end talent, right? So you shouldn't be all that concerned. Yeah, I mean, no, I, th- I think it speaks to Andrzej Kopitar and Philippe Deneau's defensive right. abilities, right. and I think that that's one of the things going into the series that you and I talked about. 
how much will it play a factor? And when it plays a factor, it feels like the two times that it's played a factor, the Kings win. Or maybe we just point to it on the two times where they get the better of the fight. That's obviously what has to happen, is the Kings have to be really good defensively on Drysaddle and McDavid to win. Right. And if you're going into a series like that, listen, Vander Kane's been wonderful. He's been really good in this series. But if, if the Kings have any shot, they have to win that five-on-five battle and then every once in a while go to the special teams and get a get a victory there. That's but right. they got to win the five-on-five five battle. I think that's what we knew going in. Kevin Bieksa coming up. Uh, we'll talk about the Calgary Flames, who have just a massive game tonight, trying to avoid going down in a 3-1 hole. But for now, let's go three to... 3-1 hole is that, big. That, is, that would be bad. Yeah, this is as close to must-win as must-win. And it's, the, be without flames. Must it's win. the Flames that are in that spot of all the Canadian teams that we thought going into the playoffs. Do you think when the day is done that we will be... How about this? I think when the day is done, we'll be two best of threes for all the Canadian teams. I think so, too. I, I just think at, at some point, the levy will break for the Flames and we'll start putting the offense. Yeah, I don't know if the levy will break, but I think that they're doing, like you saw the shots on goal in game three. Yeah. Heavily. I just don't know if Jake Ottinger can keep this up where he's just standing on his head. And Rookie fun. goalies, man. It's, it's funny. Nuts. Calgary's another team just begging for five-on-five play. We'll talk yeah. to Eric Francis about that a little bit. Love it. Right. Love it. Okay, the Toronto Blue Jays are off today after dropping three of four in Cleveland over the weekend. They've now lost five of their last seven games. Speaking of fans that are worried, do Blue Jays fans have reason for concern here today? Here we go. <laughs> why? I guess five of seven, that would be. Yeah, yeah. Five okay. to seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me back up on that one. Five to seven. I understand that. Listen, this is, there's 162 games in a season, right? Remember when Bo Bichette was struggling and he went to Pat Tabler and the crew and he said, uh, yeah, the good thing is I only have about uh, 600 more plate appearances to make up for my struggles off the top. Good point. Like, yep. they're, they're 17 and 13. You and I sat here at the start of the season when we said 30 and 31, 20 and 20. Mm-hmm. Looked at the schedule, looked at the teams they were playing. Some of those teams are better than we thought they would be. Some of them are worse than we thought they would be. However, we said 16 and 14 would be acceptable. Yep. 17 and 13 would be good. And my exact words at the time were 18 and 12 and look the bleep out. They were really, really close to look the bleep out. However, because you were going into that Cleveland series where you had... 16 wins, people thought, oh, we, can get, we might even get to 20 and 10 here. And then that causes the disappointment. But if you just long view on this for a split second, and I know this is hard, but in 162 games, oftentimes you need the long view. The long view is this isn't all that bad. In fact, this is probably pretty good. And it seems like you're getting healthier. So... I can't see how you could just step out of the box for a second and look at what the Jays were looking at going into this year and not think that this was a good start to the season. Was this a good series? No. No. Is that a good week? Probably not. Is it the end of the world? Absolutely not. Relax. It's 162. These things will happen. There are really good signs on this team, and I I have a feeling – Bo Bichette will hit better. I have a feeling Vladimir Guerrero will turn it up a notch because he'll start getting pitches with Teoscar Hernandez back in the lineup. The bats would be the one concern. And from every expert that we listened to going into the year, the bats were the least of their concerns. So 
Patience is a virtue, my friends. Though I will say this. <laughs> you got five games this week, two days off, a little bit of breathing room. Yankees and Rays, like they're three and a half back right now. Mm -hmm. They have a four now. If, if they have a three and a half going into today, four now. If they have a rough week, it could get real interesting, <laughs> and then I would wonder. Maybe I'll ask Ben Nicholson-Smith. He's going to join us a little bit later on. I'll ask him if they need to be worried if this week doesn't go well. Because right now, make it relax. George literally just wrote in and said 162-game season, but they missed last year by one. That one can be gained in May no, 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 or but June this is, as no, well. No, no, but this is. I agree with you, George, but what I'm trying to tell you right now what I'm, what I'm attempting to get across is you will have the ebbs and flows of 160. It is inevitable. And those ebbs and flows come when you play 30 in 31, when you play 20 games in 20 days, when you don't have Teoscar Hernandez, Danny Jansen, and Kinjin Ryu looks like, well, I was going to rhyme Ryu with a yeah. P word. Yeah, but I didn't do it. That's when you have those ebbs and flows over 162. So I agree with you. You want the wins, but guess what? 17 and 13 is pretty good when you have injuries and you're in a tough part of the schedule. That's the part where, yes, yes, there's never too early. A win is a win is a win. But guess what? When they get the Tigers and the Royals and the O's and you even out the schedule, I'm not going to be here saying this team is the best team on planet Earth. I'm going to say, this is the teams that you need to be right. when you get that opportunity. George, thank you for getting them going there. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, we go to the NBA now, and last week it looked like the Suns and Heat were going to roll over the Mavs and Sixers, but look out. Both Dallas and Philly stormed back over the weekend to even their respective series at two. Which of those comebacks was more unexpected? Both. I have, I have no, honestly, I have no idea. I mean, listen, Embiid coming back not being 100%, um, but coming back shows just how good he has been all year long, yeah. even if fans in this country uh, tend to dislike Got Joel Embiid. He's been good, and then James Harden finally shows up. And I say finally shows up because it's not like he is old-school James Harden. It's just that James Harden is there, and that's even the series up at two. But, I listen, I thought Dallas was done. You and I sat here, and it's kind of kind of fitting, too. Like, have you noticed that... Over the last two games, Luka Doncic is scoring below his career average in the postseason in both of the games that the Mavs have won. Making an effort to get everybody else involved. I, like, I don't even know if that's it. Or just it, they're hitting shots more. Yeah, or they're putting other people in the position to succeed. There's a little bit of column A. There's a little bit of column B. There's a little bit of guys getting the home rim and their shots going down a little bit more than they were in Phoenix. But... I mean, this one might be the most, if, if we were to really break it down, I did not see the Mavs bouncing back with Luka becoming more of a, let me make sure everyone else is involved here. But we talked about that last week. Yeah, and they have risen to the occasion. Got to give them credit. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned Embiid. Uh, many people thought that he was arguably a front runner for the MVP award. Didn't win it. That went to Nikola Jokic, who you and I... Uh, eventually, I think, came to a consensus that Jokic was probably the right pick for the MVP, and he wins it. Yeah, I think given where they finished, given injuries to two of their top three players, and given what was um, the 
greatest per in the history, player efficiency yeah. rating in the history of the NBA, although it was just slightly better than Giannis. I would say I agree with Joker over, I tweeted this out earlier, so I'm just stealing my own content. <laughs> uh, Joker over Joel, but give me Giannis. Yeah. Like if you were to, if we One were game? drafting teams right now. Or franchise. Yeah, I, I would want Giannis over those three, over those two. But I, I do understand why Jokic is the MVP and probably agree. Giannis is just, I mean, when you're a, that was a physical machine too. like that, and he's just, he doesn't slow down. He just was, gets better and better and better. That was a literal, like the 42 point, what was it, 42, 12, and 8? Yeah. Like, that was just a masterpiece. Somehow he's under the radar. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, we, I've said it on the show. Yeah. Like, I think it's because he's Greek and he's lovable and he doesn't go on IG. Kenny Judd Smith said the yeah. same thing. He needs to go on IG more and call people out. Right. Maybe that's not his style. That's why we like him. It's not, it's not yeah, like style. It's refreshing. And that's why I like him. <laughs> yeah. Still to come, Ben Nicholson-Smith on the Jays' tough weekend. And a big week on the way. Eric Francis from the rink ahead of a crucial game four for the Flames in Dallas. And after the break, Kevin Bieksa pops by with his thoughts on the Flames, Leafs, Oilers, and a round one of absolute dog fights. Tim and Friends, Monday. Everything's happening and game day starts here. Riley and great. As Riley didn't like Wright's bump on that race for the icing line. No penalties? Like, from what we've seen tonight? Are you kidding me? And this kid is becoming a huge story. What a performance by him again tonight. Rich strike is coming up on the inside. Oh, my goodness. The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby. Mahomes on the grid, who's a bit of a sporting legend out there. There's a really tall guy there, that must be him. Patrick, what do you think of this atmosphere? This is crazy, I've never been to an F1 race. It's not Patrick, that's why he ignored me in the beginning. What is your name, sir? Harlow, Bancaro. Right, okay, well I thought I was talking to somebody else, so I'm sorry about that. Whatever. Tim and friends to... All right. Another night in the uh, NHL, another four Stanley Cup playoff games on the network. Hockey Central gets things going. 6.30 Eastern on Sportsnet, followed by the Pens and the Rangers. And it's game four between the Flames and the Stars on Sportsnet and CBC. Meanwhile, double dip on Sportsnet 1 as well. Caps looking for a 3-1 series lead over the President's Trophy winning Panthers, while the Avs look to close out the Preds. In four games, leading three games, 2-0. My next guest joins me from the studios that will house a lot of that hockey over the next, I don't know, two months. Kevin BX joins me. What's going on, Kevin? How are you, man? Not too much. I'm doing good. Groundhog Day, right? <laughs> I guess it would feel like Groundhog. Listen, so let me then put this all into perspective, or at least try to for me. I know I'm supposed to be the loudmouth guy, the Stephen A. Smith of Canada, or the Skip Bayless of Canada, but I actually like learning, I actually like listening, and I actually like the fact that I have never ever figured this bleep out so the weekend's kind of confusing to me I felt like Calgary is the better team they lose both on the weekend yeah. I wondered if the Leafs had turned a corner in game three then in game four they pooped the bed Oilers outscore the Kings 14 to 2 and then lose four Cobb you've been in the fight before how does that happen like how do we feel like we have a grasp of what's going on only to have the opposite happen 
It's funny when you're playing the same team over and over again in a playoff series and, and the momentum shifts and, and you know a lot of good smart coaches will say that momentum has to be reestablished every game but there, there's always a little bit of carryover you, you think right and certainly like last night you, you look at the Leaf game and the way they started and then you look at the Oilers game if you watch both and the way they started mm-hmm. and mind you the Oilers, Oilers played a lot better a lot harder as the game went on but the first period for both teams was almost like well, we've already got our split, so you know we're we're, we're going to show up, and you know I'm not attacking uh, attacking anyone's character or anything, but it, the mindset was almost like we'll show up, and if things go perfectly and we win, and you know we're feeling the puck and we get a power play early, great. But like if we don't, like we're still going home in good shape with our splits because there just wasn't that urgency, that yeah. desperation, that like much like what I think Calgary's going to start the game like tonight. Like I would be shocked if Calgary didn't come out guns a blazing, you know, zone time after zone time for the first five minutes of the game because they need this game. They're, they have to be more desperate and more urgent than Dallas tonight. It was funny. John Cooper, Kyle Bukoskis, right before the game, said we'll play with some urgency and we'll be okay. And he was bang on. They yeah. were way more. So, so let me ask you this then. How do the Leafs, given their past, a 2-1 lead against the defending two-time Stanley Cup champs come out and lay an egg like that? Well, you know what? Like this is this is going to be maybe not popular opinion, but and it's really hard to make lineup changes after you win. But if you just look at like the way the series goes and all the statistics for Vasilevsky and Tampa Bay, like how yeah. after they lose a game, they never lose the next game. Like it would have been really hard, but also really really smart and forward thinking to have like Simmons or Clifford in the lineup because you knew they were going to come out in Game Four on home ice and just try to run the Leafs over, and, and they did, right? So they get up like. Three Three nothing early, sorry, two nothing early, but then three and four and five, and so like the Leafs skill guys, they're not going, they're not winning the skill game against Tampa Bay, and they're not winning the physicality game. So right. you, you really at that point, and, and while everyone's like, oh, I want to have somebody that can play hockey and you know have some skill in the fourth line. But that's not what you need all the time. You, you have three lines of skill. In the fourth line, it's an energy line. And when you don't have energy or momentum, you need somebody to go get it physically, like physically go out and get it by right. throwing hits, by creating you know, controversies. And the Leafs just didn't have that in game four. Now, going into game five, what do they do now? Because they play really well at home ice. And now I don't know if they're going to insert some sort of toughness on the fourth line because you're at the point now where these games are so important that you really have to put the best lineup in that you think is going to win the game for you. Real question, do you see a big difference between the Leafs when they look great and when they don't? Oh, yeah. yeah. For, for sure you do. I, I think everybody, the casual viewer, can pick up on it. You just know at, at the beginning of the game when they're sharp because it's a puck possession team, right? Like, it's a team that, that makes unbelievable plays when they're on. When they're on, the wingers are getting pucks on the boards. They're skating it back to the middle. They're attacking through the neutral zone with speed. Very good rush team you know they're they're spending minimal time in their zone you know usually when that happens they do depend on Campbell for like a big save here or there and when he provides that they're dynamite their power play is on right from the beginning and there's been times in this series where their skill guys and, and you know in particular their big guys just haven't got going early enough right okay so it always feels like there's a scapegoat William Nylander got caught making a business decision at five nothing Justin <laughs> Hall I like the way you phrase that a little business decision yeah a little uh, computation right there do, 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 do. I'm gonna lose this battle uh. <laughs> yeah do I really want to go in hard against this six foot four 230 pound dude who wants to take my head off that's nah, probably not the great idea here 
I, I just will say, and, and while I would never defend that play, um, there, there's certain guys on your team that have certain skill sets, and unfortunately, you have to kind of live in – you know, accept some of this stuff. And like a guy like Johnny Goudreau, who's super offensive, super creative. I remember Brian Burke telling me when he was working for Calgary, he, he went up to Johnny and he said, I don't expect you to take big hits. I don't want you to go first guy in the corner and get absolutely plastered by a six foot two ugly defenseman. So, you know, they have to pick their spots of when they choose to go into the corners and really battle. Nylander's obviously a lot bigger than Goudreau and, and I think he's pretty strong on his feet. So, you know, that, that was a tough one for sure to watch. Okay, the, the other one is Justin Hall and I want to ask you because you're a D-man and I feel like Every D-man makes mistakes, and, and maybe it's because we're in Canada. I don't like. I feel like fifth or sixth D-men in Carolina or Florida don't get raked over the coals like this guy is being raked over the coals right now. Are his mistakes worse than comparables on other teams? Like, is is this worth what we're hearing in Toronto, or is it just Toronto or a Canadian market? Because you've played in both. I, I think it's it's very unfair, and honestly, I've I've always been a Justin Hall fan, and and sometimes <laughs> I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, but sometimes in this studio, Tim, I'm the only one who's a Justin Hall fan. Where you know everyone starts piling yeah. on top of him. I'm like, guys, like what what do you expect him to do? Like his job is to be big, physical, control the front of the net, you know, make a simple play, take your first option. Yeah, is he going to turn the puck over once in a while? Yeah, of course he is. But, like, he doesn't turn the puck over any more than anyone else. He battles his heart out. I, I'm a Justin Hall fan. So, when he turns the puck over on the goal uh, last game, uh, I just think, like, so what? So, he, he, he makes a lot of hard plays. He battles. Those kind of guys as a coach, like, you'll live with the occasional blunder with the puck because they battle and they care and they're good teammates. So, I, I am not a big fan of all the Justin Hall scrutiny, I think, you know, like it, it's easy to go after the the fifth and sixth. There's there's guys way ahead of him. If you want to play the blame game, there's guys yeah. in that Leaf roster way ahead of him. Well, it, it seems like in Canada, like we do this thing with the fourth line and the fifth and sixth defensemen. Like you played in Anaheim. Like does that happen there? Like I, I feel like that doesn't. That's a, they a can't Canadian even spell thing. fifth and sixth defensemen <laughs> in Anaheim. <laughs> and in Vancouver, you know what? Like Vancouver also crushed a couple really good players yeah. that were playing a little bit lower on the depth chart. Like a guy like Keith Ballard who obviously like they wanted him to play higher in the lineup the media did but like because we had such a strong decor he played as a sixth defenseman and right. he was raked through the coals and he was an awesome player and a great player Andrew Alberts but like sometimes in Canada like you just you're just not happy like there goes the lighting. Yes, the lights are good. <laughs> I look better. lighting. I look better in the dark, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think? I just thought it was mood lighting. You but, were talking very uh, yeah, like, very nicely about Ballard. Leaf fans, like, lay off this guy. Like, he's he's probably going to be in the lineup next game. You know, or if he's not, so what? But, like, you're going to need, if you want a long run, you're going to need this guy. Yeah, that, that's kind of my point, is it? And I wonder if, like, you know, a lot of, a lot of Canadian fans wonder why guys don't want to play in Canada. And like I just like I don't know what's going on with the lights there. It, the it's a it's a thankless job though, <laughs> yeah. Tim. Like it's a thankless job to be that stay-at-home, steady right. defenseman because everyone's looking at the first mistake. Like when Morgan Riley turns the puck over, 
Nobody cares because he makes a lot of great passes and he's going to get a lot of opportunity. He plays 24, 25 minutes a night, so it doesn't really like stick out as much. When, when Justin Hall turns the puck over, he's like, oh my God, Justin Hall, because you don't see him as much and he's not making all the passes and the plays that, that Riley are making. But these guys are very important to the success of your team. Okay, what's the most important thing for the Calgary Flames tonight? Because a 3-1 hole is almost disaster for Calgary. I think, like... I can't see Calgary losing this series. I, I really can't. So obviously they have to win this game tonight. I, I just, I praise them during the regular season for how physical and how tough they were. And, and not necessarily fighting, but like getting on the forecheck, finishing hits, making defensemen's lives tough, like turning pucks over, getting the cycle game going, all that stuff. Well, they haven't really done that consistently in this series. And, and the problem is they haven't towed the line of being physical and engaged and being stupid and in the box, right? There's right. there's guys fighting and there's like there's somebody and, and the fights aren't even good fights, right? They're like throw a couple noogies and fall to the ice <laughs> and, and like there's there's important players on Calgary that need to get going on the ice. And that doesn't mean taking a back step. Like I think they have to play with an edge and play physical, but maybe toe that line a little bit more so they can still be effective and, and produce offensively. You know, I thought I thought Klingberg was distracted in game one. And I ripped him for being distracted. Like, you got tossed out of a game for a stupid fight in game one when you're an important part of the equation. I, I think Kachuk's been distracted by Klingberg in each of the last two games. Like, this is such a stupid fight to get, you know. Like, there's nothing going on there. What is that? That's, yeah. that's a noogie, right? So, yeah. I mean, just I don't mean to, boys, I know to, what noogies are. I just, I, like, if you're going to get, you know, kicked out of the game for a, yeah, you know what noogies are. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you want to, you want like something like, like Klingberg is a guy, you're right. He's distracted, but he's still producing in this series. So you can get engaged in this stuff. And I always felt like I was engaged in all the antics all the time. Right. And forget about what I look like or what my face looked like on the ice. When I went back to the bench inside, I was calm. I was calm. And sometimes like if a coach, an assistant coach was like, settle down, settle down. We need you on the ice. I would say, I got it. Like, forget about what I look like. Deep down inside, I'm calm, and right. this is all strategic to me. I'm not going to end up on the wrong end of the penalty. Don't worry. Right, and, and that's the key, right, is like, and now the Flames are lobbying for five-on-five -five play because they know skill for skill, man-to-man, -man, they should be able to beat this team, but you can avoid going into the box with other guys. Like, I just, I think that they've been distracted way more than Dallas has been distracted in the last two games. I uh, always appreciate you joining me. Uh, and I, I did particularly like the mood lighting. That was nice. <laughs> yeah, I had nothing to do with that. But <laughs> yeah, sure said, you didn't. Sure <laughs> I didn't. look better dark, so you might see it more often. Uh, Kevin BX, thanks, buddy. See you, Tim. Uh, there is Kevin BX. You can check him out along with four games tonight on the Sportsnet family of channels, including the Dallas Stars and the Calgary Flames. Game number four is close to a must win without actually being a must win for the Flames after the break. We'll brighten up your Monday, hopefully. For the plays of the week, the best of the week. Worst of the week, we put them all together. Seven days of whole green goodness coming up in the PO Dubs next right here on Tim and Friends. Eric Francis also coming up. Carol and Cameron all lined up. Ben Nicholson-Smith, hockey, baseball, sports and stuff. Tim and Friends, Eric Francis, Carol and Cameron, Ben Nicholson-Smith all coming up. Do you know what these are, Jesse? No, it's... These are the... Scripts? Plays of the week? Thing. Ding, 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 
Nice. Positive. Positive. I see what you did there. Is that a St. Bernard I don't know. for the Avalanche? Is I, that, I think you know it's, what I'm saying? I think St. Bernard, yeah, big, burly dogs. Yeah. Uh, race everyone was talking about this weekend, of course, was the Buffalo Bison's <laughs> wing race. There seemed to be collusion between the potato and the blue cheese. Take carrot down. No one wants carrot anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we need more of these in sports. Blue cheese, 80 to 1 shot, I heard on Bet Rivers. Nice. Uh, all right, let's get right to it. Rays and Mariners. Manuel Margot at the dish, grounder up the middle. That's Dylan Moore. Oh, that is pretty. Of the pink socks, too. I would have gone behind the back. Adds the flair. Pittsburgh Cincy. Uh, Reds haven't been all that good this year. <laughs> and Jack Swinski just makes it worse. This is an understatement of the century. <laughs> yes. like five and 23. Oh, it's ugly they for Cincinnati. Bad. Yes. Uh, tough series for the Jays, but good Lordis was this a catch. <laughs> you get it? Good Lordis. <laughs> oh, snow cone. Uh, he's been better than than usual in, in left, I think. I really enjoy snow cones. Yeah. Underrated. Like the catch or the treat? The treat. Uh, Jose Altuve, this is in the front Astros. <laughs> The, uh, the reaction, too. Very good. Like, oh, that's just, good. Oh, uh, is this real? This guy plays for the Reds. Ooh, that's three. Is this four. real? Yeah. I feel like this is he's the poor man's Ruglin Odor. No, he's in a funk. He's in. He's hit the skids a little bit here. Is that Rugnet Odor? He's going to break out of it at some point. Oh, my God. That's a tough that look. so tough. It's disappointing. Uh, so is this. <laughs> You see these like on tapes and you think they never really happen, do they? This is the Jose Alvarado for the Pelicans. <laughs> Harry Kornick gets Orian Nealon not looking, or at least looking the wrong way. <laughs> Reference the 80 to 1 shot, Kentucky Derby. The angle is unbelievable. In fact, it'll go down to history. Larry Kalmus on the cover. Epicenter and Zozo's in behind him. Cyberknife swings up on the outside. Sandon gets the rail run, and they're into the stretch. And it's Fessier, Crown Pride, and Epicenter is coming up on the outside. Epicenter has taken the lead as they arrive into the final furlong. Sandon is coming after him. Epicenter and Sandon, these two stride for stride. Simplification down the outside is next. They're coming down to the wire. Epicenter's ended. Rich Strike is coming up on the inside. Oh my goodness. The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby. It's amazing. He it, doesn't notice him to the end. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, inside's tough for a guy calling it. I've Unreal. called the race before. I don't know if you know that. No, I've called the race What before. have you called? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great point. Uh, Andrew Wiggins has had himself a week. Uh, when that first coast-to-coast -coast dunk wasn't your best dunk of the week, in fact, a little Canadian on Canadian crime here was his best of the week as he caught Brandon Clark. Speaking of catching, Giannis hustling back. How about this and one for Jason Tatum? Oh, my. But Giannis covers the court in, like, what, four strides? We still got him. <laughs> ridiculous. Still got him. Yeah. Bucket and bruise to the uh, ice. Leafs lightning. See a bit of everything from Jack. Will this be a save that the Leaf fans remember, Jesse Rubinoff? Only if they win the series. That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rangers Penguins, who says empty net goals can't be pretty? How about Crosby between the legs pass my man. to Jeff Carter? Look at Jeff Carter, who's been around for a yeah. while. Just go, did you just do that? It's the best. Uh, this guy's pretty good, too. Yeah, I was going to say. McDavid. Uh, this is underrated. Watch Jordan Cairo. Fake shot. And then between the legs. Get the goalie to move. Slide between the legs. It was oh, very underrated. Skill is on another level. He's good. This yeah, guy he is real good. good. Uh, so is this guy. It's a good series. Kale McCarr quickly turning into my hockey crush. Yes. Oh. He, he's, he might be like the new Crosby, like Crosby was for me. 
Like he, he, he yeah. crushing on him as a hockey player too. Uh, we're going to talk about him a little bit later. In fact, we're going to hear from him a little later. And uh, we end with the Miami Grand Prix, and who knew Patrick Mahomes was <laughs> six foot ten. Patrick Martin Brando, Formula One Television in England. Yeah, I don't think you can hear me up there. Patrick, how are you? Good, good to see you on the grid here. What do you think of this atmosphere? This is crazy. I've never been to an F1 race. This is this is spectacular. It's amazing to be allowed right in the middle of the competitors just before the race starts. Yeah, now you can see they locked in. It reminds me of myself. But uh, the real focus. Okay, it's not Patrick. That's why he ignored me in the beginning. But what is your name, sir? Paulo Bancaro. Right, okay. Well, I thought I was talking to somebody else. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, a little bit of uh, misinformation in the ears there, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. We got to talk to him anyway. Always, misinformation. Blame, always blame the producer, Jesse. That this was is your first lesson. Incredibly in awkward. On air talent. You yes. blame the producer when you confuse light skinned brothers. Uh, shout out to Paolo Bancaro, though. He didn't panic at all. Oh, and, and like gave him the last name just right. in case Brundle might know yeah. who he was. But he obviously didn't know who Patrick Mahomes was either. No. Because there's <laughs> Clearly, no, like, he's not that tall. Yeah. Paolo is six foot ten. Yeah, no, he's not that tall. Uh, they brought up all the, all the stops for Miami. Like, it was a, it was a scene there. Celebrities. Brady. Yeah. Jordan. Jordan. Yeah. Paolo Patrick Bancaro. Mahomes. <laughs> Everybody was there. It was awesome. Everybody yeah. was there. Yeah, it was very American. Yes. In its presentation. Yes. And uh, maybe they'll make a little bit of a leap. Yeah, they got Vegas coming up later in That'll season two. Woo. All right, time for break. When we come back, we'll head to Dallas and catch up with Eric Francis from the rink as the Flames get set for a massive game number four. They'll try and even the series heading back to Calgary. A preview on the way. Tim and Friends rolls on on this Monday edition. Two and Tim and Friends Full Hour Sportsnet 360, which includes Ben Nicholson Smith on the Jays' tough weekend. Just a half an hour to go on Sportsnet ahead of Hockey Central. Eric Francis in mere moments from now as we set up the Flames and the Stars as Calgary looks to even up the series in Dallas tonight. Game four goes on Sportsnet and CBC. Start time here. 9.50 Eastern, 7.50 local in Calgary, and it's been a slog offensively for the Flames so far in the series, scoring only three goals in three games, and there was a wee bit of a wrinkle. The lines of morning skate, Brett Ritchie skating on the second line with Backlund into Foley. Come game time, will it look different? Well, Daryl Sutter noted it in a morning press conference. Uh, fluid situation? A slight change in the lines as they are this morning. I don't know if that's going to be happening tonight. It's a very fluid situation that's that's evolving as the day goes along. <laughs> classic Sutter! Sutter! Classic! 
right. We'll visit with Eric Francis in Dallas shortly. Here's the full <laughs> schedule today. Everyone found that really funny. Game four between the Rangers and we'll ask Francis why it was funny. Rangers and Pens following us. Hockey Central on Sports that Carolyn Cameron in Pittsburgh in a bit got a double header. Jesse, I think you giggles. How do you laugh like that on it? command? That's very impressive. What, just like the, the cackle? cackle? Yeah. Uh, Panthers and Caps followed by Abs and Preds. That's on Sportsnet 1 tonight. Got it good and since you understood the Leafs will try and shake off last night's blowout loss to the Lightning. In game five tomorrow, Scotiabank Arena with the series now a best of three. Pressure squarely back on the Leafs course of uh, lost in the first round in each of their past five seasons the players though not really worried about history I think as a group we feel like we have learned a lot in, in in our past experiences I think that's natural when you go through something you reflect and you look back on what you wish you did differently then moving forward you try to execute those things and um, you know I certainly feel like that is the case with our group we've learned a lot what's in the past is the past I mean that's really nothing that we can change or what we can control I think the only thing that we can really focus on and um, and control is, is what we have here, what we have now, the, the task that we have in front of us and uh, in game five tomorrow. So that's really the main focus, I think, from everybody in our locker room. In the here and the now, understand it, Austin. Very zen-like. Oilers also licking their wounds after a 4-0 loss game four on Sunday in L.A. But they'll be back home game five tomorrow night, earlier today. Head coach Jay Woodcroft promised uh, they would be prepared for this one. I think you're going to see an Edmonton Oilers team that's going to come out uh, prepared. Uh, they're going to come out hard, and they're going to be a team that realizes there's no shortcuts to uh, to playoff success. We got Norris nominees for you: Victor Hedman, Roman Yossi, Cal McCarr. Have all been named Norris Trophy finalists. Hedman and Yossi have both won the award once. Well, McCarr, who is the betting favorite. Looking for his first, but nominated for the third straight time in his young career. Winner will be announced towards the end of the postseason. After just one year, Pierre Maguire reportedly out of the Sens organization. He was hired as vice president of player development in July of 2021. Sens finished the year 33-42-7 and missed the playoffs for the fifth straight year. Barry Trotz has been let go as the Islanders head coach, but of a head scratcher here. Trotz spent four seasons with the Isles, reaching a conference final in that time, missed the playoffs this season. GM Lou Lamarillo said today the team needs a new voice. Trotz will likely be a hot commodity for coaching vacancies, perhaps including his home province of Manitoba, where the Jets may be interested in the newly free agent. Barry Trotz. Nikola Jokic will be named NBA MVP for the second straight year, according to Woj. He averaged career highs in points and rebounds this year, beats out Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo, who are the other nominees. Jokic will become the 15th player in NBA history to win the award in back-to-back -back years, while reports suggest that Suns head coach Monty Williams will be named Coach of the Year. Return of the big man in the NBA. You got Jokic, you got Embiid, and you got Giannis nominated for the MVP. Jokic goes back-to-back. -back. Day off for the Jays today as they rest up after playing 20 games in 20 days and 30 and 31. After a tough week where they went 2-5, and five, the schedule does not let up for the Jays with visits to New York and Tampa on the agenda this week. Speaking of New York, Rangers-Yankees. Nestor Cortez looking like a 
wily veteran on the bump this year. 27-year-old lefty, Charlie Culberson, Eli White, Marcus Simeon, striking out the side in the top of the third, now to the top of the seventh. Cortez yet to allow a hit. Andy Banez, that's his 10th punch-up. Top eight, one away, Cortez facing White. No, no, no more. Breaks it up, Cortez standing ovation from the Bronx faithful after pitching a career high seven and a third, striking out 11. Bottom of the eight, Anthony Rizzo. Rizzo, open your ears. This is going to the gap, Aaron Judge rounds third base. Beats the throw home. Guess what? That's your only run, kids. Yankees win for the 13th time in 15 games. The series shifts to Dallas, tied at a game apiece between the Stars and the Flames. Ace get in with a shot. Got through, they score! Joe Pavelski, and it's time! Second of the series for Pavelski. Midway through the power play, midway through the period. The Mastercard stop, rebound, they score! And it's Pavelski again! 3-2 Dallas, here's a breakaway for Monroe. Johnny Monroe, stop by Ottinger! This kid is becoming a huge story. What a performance by him again tonight. And the Stars go up two games to one. Game four, Flame Stars, American Airlines Center. Tonight joining us now from Dallas is Eric Francis, who I heard may or may not have seen a little cold play this week. 80,000 people at the Cotton Bowl, my friend. Oh, look That out. is a concert. Did you fix anybody? Whoa. That's the only Coldplay song I know. Oh, it got emotional, <laughs> I have to tell you. I was there with oh, yeah. Ryan Leslie. It was emotional. <laughs> it's Ryan Leslie's an emotional guy. I understand that. <laughs> I understand that completely. No, no, no. No, no. I was the one who was emotional. Oh, okay. <laughs> with Ryan me. Leslie. <laughs> he stirs that yeah. in many. He yeah. stirs that in many. I understand. Um, uh, he's a, he was my rock. All right. So you, so you were emotional at Coldplay. And uh, the tears turned to laughs earlier today when you asked Daryl. Daryl Sutter likes playing poker, I'm guessing. <laughs> Daryl Sutter and the media, we have this little joust every day. I mean, I know you guys run the clips. And it's, I don't want to say it's love-hate, but it's, we're like pawns and pinatas <laughs> alternately like you know it's his little chess game and he just moves us around and just just crucifies us when it suits his needs and today he was playful so i'll give him that yeah i just asked about a lineup change which i know better i know he's not going to shed any light on a lineup change but i have to ask the question so and there then, it was and then he plays a little back and forth do you think though that we are going to see richie on the second line like i know it's it's hard to predict when it is daryl sutter but uh, is that something that you, like, maybe there's a, an expected physicality to this game that he wants to see? Yeah, I do think that that's a lineup change that will stick. And Mangiapane down on the fourth line, I, I see that as quite a demotion for Mangiapane. I think he's played okay. He hasn't had any many scoring chances, but he's been, you know, in the, the fabric of the game, if you will, trying to break into that impenetrable zone that's in the middle of the, the Dallas Stars yeah. net. So they, they would want him on the fourth line. It says a lot about where the Flames are at right now that Daryl Sutter told me on Saturday that the fourth line was his best line. That was Lucic, Richie, and, and, and Lewis. That's, if that's your best line, um, 
you know, probably you can understand why they're down 2-1 in the series. Okay, so let's let's talk about that for a second because you got three goals in three games. Obvious. Listen, I know that the top line has two of those. Uh, do you need more from that top line, even though this is a series that both teams enjoy playing at a tight checking pace? Yeah, you, obviously you need more from the top line. I mean, statistically, that was the best line in hockey this year by quite a bit. 340 goal scores. I mean, obviously the expectations are sky high. I do think it's a little too early for people to pile on Johnny Gaudreau. You know, he's he's got a long history of of not being as good in the playoffs when the game gets a little tighter, a little more intense. Uh, but I, I think people should reserve judgment on him still. This could be a long series, and through the course of it, if he still can't produce by the end of it, sure, uh, fire away. But right now, I do think he's creating some chances. Jake Ottinger is the story of the series, obviously. Johnny Gaudreau had that breakaway late in the last game and was stoned by Ottinger. Gaudreau's had some pretty good chances. He's set up some pretty good chances. They just can't seem to bury him. So give him more time before the knives really come out. I, I don't think he's playing poorly at all. I just think he's he's been held in check for the most part. That That's for sure, though. Uh, I read your ish, Francis, and I found it really interesting to see the difference in the way um, Daryl Sutter was handling Johnny Gaudreau and the way that Blake Coleman gave you clips on yeah. Johnny Gaudreau and, and maybe a guy who didn't grow up in Canada and maybe a guy who's been on Champions and needs to stay even keel. Like yeah. I, I felt like there was a certain touch with Blake Coleman that maybe more around Canada should have when dealing with their stars in the postseason. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, after the game, to your to what you're Speaking of, yeah. Daryl Sutter said he's got to bury those. That's his job. I mean, that's just the Sutter way. Frank yeah. to the point and very honest because it is it is an honest clip. Yeah. They needed that goal, and he's the guy who's got to give it to them. Blake Coleman said Johnny's a great player. He's going to be, been a great player all year. He's going to return to being a great player, and he's going to be a big reason why we're going to get back into this series in game four, which was a you know nice little prediction and, and a, a huge pat on the back for a player who has been – you know, worthy of Hart Trophy consideration this year. So, uh, yeah, two different approaches. I could have predicted who was going to deliver it softly <laughs> yes. and who was going to be harsh. <laughs> yeah. That was for sure. But but it's interesting, <laughs> right? Like, we, we all do this with the top lines, especially when, after a loss. You, you look at the best players. Were they your best players in that game? If they weren't, then yeah. fire away. But, like, Joe Pavelski continues to, like, we all know that that third line in Tampa was a huge reason why they won a cup last year. And here's Joe Pavelski. He's matched. How does he do it each and every year? And he's, what, 37 now? Great line from Daryl Sutter again today. He says, 10 years ago, Joe Pavelski was too slow. <laughs> that was 300 goals ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the guy's a gamer. You know, yeah. we know that. And and that's what makes the, the, the Gaudreau conversation so much more front and center because the star on one team, Pavelski, has got three goals and the star on the other team has none. And and there are some people who look at this series and go, it's simple. The one team's stars showed up, the other team's stars didn't. I don't think it's quite that simple, but you can see why people have that perspective. You know, the goaltending's basically been even. Both of them have been outstanding. You can't mm -hmm. blame Jacob Markstrom for any of this. He's been he's given them more than they could have expected from him. It's yeah, it's unfortunately it is on those top players on Calgary that have to start matching a slow 37-year-old who's got <laughs> so many game-winning goals in the playoffs. It's ridiculous. Is Jake Ottinger this good? 
I don't know. He's 23 years old. The sample size is so small. No one thought he would be a starter this year. He's come in and been a damn good starter for the balance of the regular season. And, you know, this isn't just his first playoff experience. This is his first playoff experience as a pro. He'd never played in the minor leagues in playoffs or anything. So mm. here he is three games into his professional playoff debut, and he's the star of the series, the talk of the league right now when it comes to this series. So, yeah, is he this good? So far he has been. I'm not saying he's going to falter because he's got that great defensive structure in front of him. But, yeah, we got to give him full marks. The kid is uh, – Standing on his head every single game so far. I mean, if you had gone through that depth chart at the start of the year, it was a lot like Bishop, Holtby, Hudobin, <laughs> and then Ottinger. All right, before I let you go, one flame that you feel it has been knocking on the door that might be able to make a difference in this series. Is there is there one guy you got an eye on? You know, going into the series, a lot of people were saying Dylan Dubay. You know, he's had this history yeah. of rising to the occasion at World Juniors and, and in the last playoffs, the only playoff he was ever in. Uh, haven't seen much from him, though. I, the guy I'll, I'll point to is Tyler Toffoli. You know, this guy yeah. was really good for this team once they got him. We know he's got a history of playoff success. He's being put in a good position on that second line. I, I would look to him to be the kind of guy who, if you're not looking at the obvious top liners, Tyler Toffoli is the guy you got to look to and say, we need a goal from you tonight really, really badly. Uh, let me know when the next concert is, okay, my friend? You meet me down here. And we can uh, console each other when it starts to get emotional. <laughs> I, it. I don't know if you're going to replace one bald guy with another just like that, but we may give it a shot. Thanks, Francis. Cheers, buddy. <laughs> All right, there is uh, Eric Francis in Cold Dallas. 80,000 Coldplay, open air stadium. Cotton I like Coldplay. Bowl. You like Coldplay? Yeah. I feel like they hit hard and then they kind of fell off under a lot of people's minds. I don't mind listening to them every once in a while, but they're not like heavy rotation on the McAuliffe. No, no, they got like five really good ones, like Fix You, Scientist. Right. Yellow, I think Mm -hmm. is a good song. You think it's a good song? Yeah, I'm tapped out. That's all I got off the top of my head. After the break, (laughs) uh, we'll check in with Carolyn Cameron and see if she listens. She she seems like she'd listen to Coldplay. I, I would bet a lot of money on it, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. All right, plus Colby Armstrong's latest sit-down, this time with Kale McCarr before we hand it off to Hockey Central on Sportsnet. Tim and Friends rolls on this heavy Monday in the world of sports. presents Stanley Cup Moments. Here's Lemieux. The center penalty coming up. Look at Lemieux. Oh my heavens. What a goal. What a move. Lemieux. Oh baby. One of the prettiest goals you'll ever want to see. Very few could ever make this play like Mario Lemieux. One against the world and he takes the whole world on it here. Holy cow. What a goal by Mario Lemieux. You could experience moments like this live. Enter for your chance to win a VIP trip to the 2022 Stanley Cup Final. Enter now at rogers.com slash Stanley Cup. Oh, baby, what a moment and what an update that I got on Coldplay. It's the number one tour in the world right now. Stad France, four shows, 75,000 a night sold out. Soldier Field. 
two nights sold out absolutely massive number one tour in the world Coldplay. I've never been to a concert but I hear that that one is is the best oh yeah now you're saying that no I, I hear that it's like a light show yellow, and they give you bracelets songs, and there's blah, like all blah, sorts blah. of stuff going on commercial break Sebi's saying ah you know they've kind of fallen oh, yeah. off you Sebi's hit the nail on the head yeah. Timmy yeah. they have fallen off uh, I get an update via text, and I appreciate it. It is the biggest tour on planet Earth. That's impressive. Uh, Sydney Crosby's tour is pretty good, too. They'll look to make more of their own playoff moments tonight as they host the Rangers in Game 4. Follows us on Sportsnet. Pens lead the series 2-1 after filling the net on Saturday with more in this series. Let's go live to Pittsburgh and check in with Carolyn Cameron. Before we get going here, Cameron, uh, mm -hmm. are you or are you not a Coldplay fan? Coldplay was my first ever concert in oh, high right. school at what is now Scotiabank Arena. It was good, too. Very good. Yeah, Spoiler I, I do concert. hear they're good in, in concert. That is one yeah. concert that I would go to. Uh, I've been to a few again. concerts in my life. One time I went to uh, Bruce Springsteen with Elliot Friedman. It's a story for another day. Let's get to the pens in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm done trying to predict these Stanley Cup playoffs, especially this series, because ahead of Game 3, the whole story was, will Louis Domingue, be able to respond after a loss in game two but then quickly the story began Igor Shashurkin allowing four goals in the first period and then leaving the game after that so now the question is is the likely Vesna trophy winner going to respond and the good news is for Rangers fans he's 14-2 and 1 after a loss this season uh, good news for the Penguins Tristan Jari was back on the ice this morning just the second time since he broke a bone in his foot nearly a month ago and today before practice was the first time since that he's actually faced shots. Still no timetable for his return, and Louis Domingue, he'll get the start again tonight. Crazy. I can't imagine Pittsburgh winning this series, but if they do, it would be legendary to get Jari back and move on in the second round. Uh, we'll be watching. Thank you, Cameron. Appreciate it, as always, and if I ever get spare tickets to Coldplay, I know who I'm looking for. Oh, what, Elliot or me? <laughs> you. You. It would be okay, way better than you. Elliot. Thank you. Uh, there is Carolyn Cameron covering the Rangers and the Penguins. Elsewhere tonight, the Az will try and finish off an impressive sweep of the Preds. Cal McCarr, once again, has been a standout. Seven points in three games so far. A Norris favorite after being named a finalist for the third time in his three seasons today recently. A roving reporter extraordinaire, Colby Armstrong, caught up with McCarr. Have a listen. All right. You got the stud. Are you kidding me? What a play by Kale oh McCarr. Oh, my goodness gracious, Kale McCarr. What a play by number eight. I just want to go back to Calgary. Like, growing up in Calgary, were you a Flame fan? Oh, yeah, big Flame fan. Yeah? yeah. You were... What was your, what's your like earliest memory? Were you going to games as a kid? Yeah, I was going to games. I don't know if I have a specific um, memory from games, but my earliest memory of the Flames is probably the 04 Cup run. Just oh, being, the Red Mile. Yeah, the Red Mile, just being uh, being in the city for that. Obviously, I was probably only five or six, but um, yeah, that was uh, that's kind of my first big memory. So you weren't on the Red Mile? I, well, I wouldn't have been, no. The puck out at center, there's Conroy out of the box, away he goes, Jerome Ginlaw scores! And Jerome Ginlaw has the icebreaker in game seven. It was like electric, that run, like Iggy, yeah. the boys. Is Jerome Ginlaw when you're, he's kind of the Mr. Flame of your era, right? Yeah, de definitely a childhood idol. Yeah. Um, that was a team that like people didn't think could go that far, so that was a pretty crazy run for the town, that's for sure. Yeah, so Kale, your name, Kale, where does that come from? Um, so my parents uh, 
they came down to kind of two names for me. One was uh, Kurt, named after Kurt Russell, the actor. Yeah. And then um, Kale, after Kale Hulse. My dad used to do a lot of advertising and marketing behind the scenes for the Flames. Um, met Kale Hulse, doing, found he was a really nice guy, uh, treated people the right way. So they really liked the name Kale, and so they changed it from uh, Kurt to Kale. Hit it. Here he goes. Dropped it off. Shot scores! Makar's first NHL goal in the playoffs. Kale Makar, welcome to the NHL. You're a humble guy, like you're not gonna brag, but I'll brag for you. Like, you came in and you were dominating. As you're going into that, did you feel like, holy, I'm like a factor, like holy smokes. I'm, I don't know so much about a factor. For me personally, I think the transition from junior to college was a little bit more difficult. I think the two years of college allowed me to just yeah. get my game to the level where I felt that it was pro ready. And it was nice to be able to step in the lineup and yeah. know that I can be a factor, like you said, each night for the yeah. team, so. You've got a Hobie Baker, you've got a Calder, and now with the year you're having, what would it mean to you, possibly for a, a Norris? I think it's like you, and, for, for me anyways, it's you and Yossi that are kind of banging it out yeah. for this, you know, the best D-man in the league. Yeah, obviously I'd, I'd be very honored and like you touched on Yossi, he's just, he's such an incredible player and the way he's able to be the main factor for his team every single night is so impressive for me. And yeah. He's a guy that I grew up watching even before I came into the league. So if it comes down to us too, it's obviously a very, very cool name to be in the mention with. Makar holds in the corner and now along the half boards. Oh, beautiful wheel around move. Makar shoots and scores! Colorado wins it in overtime. What a pirouette goal scored by the young defenseman, Cal McCarr. Last thing, I gotta ask you about your skating. Like, did you go to another dimension to learn how to skate or like another world somewhere? Because, you know, in a game right now and they talk about the modern player and the modern D-man especially, there'd probably be a picture of you in a book if they had that, just because of your ability to play offense, defense, your skating. Where do you credit that to? A lot of the credit just goes to my coaches, like growing up at a young age. An offensive defenseman wasn't the prototypical player back yeah. then, so allowing me to kind of stretch the boundaries and be able to use my skates to do like a 10 and 2 move. Yeah, or you're good at like that, that, hey? So the loose hips. Yeah, try it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I think it just goes back to the coaching that I've had growing up, yeah. just allowing me to be the player that I, that I wanted to be. And then obviously just trying new things in practice, whether yeah. it's um, different ways to move or laterally, but yeah. I mean, thinking man's D-man, skill, skating. Kale, all the best. Everyone loves watching you. Kids are going crazy <laughs> for you. So I keep up the great it. work. You're awesome. Thank yeah, you thanks. very much. Thanks for your time. They touched on it. The skating is ridiculous, right? Like, when you watch him do what he does, mm -hmm. it's almost, and we have a figure skater behind the camera, but he, he has, like, the edge work is figure skating-like. It's unbelievable what he's able to do, and I thought it's such a great point as I watch my kid go through hockey right now and how he said that coaches let him be him. Right. Especially in Canada. We have this thing where we want to make them a piece of the puzzle mm -hmm. in minor hockey, like minor peewee AAA, you're playing a role on a third line. It's ridiculous. And I'm so glad that he pointed out he had coaches that let him be him. Have you noticed uh, as the father of hockey players that uh, like the drills are changing like is there more of an emphasis now on on skating because yeah, that's yeah. that's what separates these guys right it's it's yeah. you know stick handling <laughs> a lot of practices it's no pucks you put the pucks away and just skate and we had that growing up but I feel like it's different now no they, the edge work the understanding of how to skate like Sebi grew up skating in figure skating yeah and 
passing. Like right. the one touch, get it off your stick, that kind of precision passing. Those are the two biggest differences between what we see now and what we see. What Got we some play. skilled players to learn from. That's for uh, you sure. can see an extended version of that chat on Sportsnet's YouTube channel as well. All right, time to send it to David Amber and the rest of the Hockey Central panel. They'll continue to get you set for four games on the ice tonight. As for us, we'll continue on Sportsnet 360. Ben Nicholson-Smith will join me to discuss the Jays and the fans who on Twitter got a little worried. Should be. Back in 60 on 360 with Jays Talk. Everyone else, enjoy Hockey Central. Welcome back on 360. It was a rough series for the Jays in Cleveland as they lost three of four, including a late heartbreaker on Sunday, spoiling another solid start from Alec Manoa. The Jays finally get a scheduled day off today after playing 20 games in 20 days before starting a week with two against the Yankees, then three against the Rays at the trough. The Yankees win earlier today. Jays now four games back of the division leaders while they're also a half game back of the surging again Tampa Bay Rays. Red Sox been a disappointment sitting last already ten and a half games back in the East. So let's check out the odds to win the AL East powered by Bet Rivers despite the Jays recent wobbles. They are still co-favorites with the Yankees at plus 120. If you're looking for value not exactly there. Still co-favorites to win the division with the Rays. There may be value there. Plus 360 as they continue to surge. Red Sox odds have plummeted to plus 700 while the Orioles as well. They're the Orioles. It's a whole new game. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Our next guest knows the Jays as well as anyone on planet Earth. You can find him at B. Nicholson Smith on Twitter. The At The Letters podcast, we find him at the BNS Studios in the greater Toronto area. His name is Ben Nicholson-Smith. Benny, welcome back, buddy. How are you? Good, Tim. Good to be talking some baseball with you. How are things? Uh, things are very well, actually. It's a Monday. It's a happy Monday so far, and I'll try not to bleep it up. I, I, I like taking the long view. I think some fans think I do it too much. But I thought 17-13 and 13 after this 30-game stretch was where you wanted to be. But I understand... From having my ear to the ground the way that I do, there is some worry from this fan base after losing 5 of 7 to close out that 30-game chunk. What's your take on 17 and 13? Yeah, I think if you zoom out, it's great. I mean, 17 and 13, you do that time after time, you're going to be in the playoffs. I think the way they started um, to get to Cleveland um, in the position that they were with Teoscar Hernandez potentially on the brink, and finally you thought, okay, they can kind of catch their breath here. They can kind of bank some wins against a lesser opponent to lose three of four against the Guardians. I mean, that one hurts for sure, especially yesterday to lose it the way they did, just not scoring any runs. I mean, Teoscar was actually pretty good yesterday at least, but the, you know they need to get the offense going. So I think big picture, incredible production, really a lot of reason for optimism for this team. And then you zoom into the last series, it was disappointing. So if there were criticisms, obviously it would be runners in scoring position. And is it just that the explosiveness isn't in the lineup that we all thought would be there? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you look at this lineup and 
you know, I was looking through some of their box scores from last year just to kind of reset because in my mind, what we've seen hasn't lined up with what's been, you know, the impression or the expectation mm-hmm. for this ball club. So, you know, looking back through the game logs last year, they scored 10 runs so many times in August and September. There was one three-game series against the Orioles. They scored 10, 11, and 22, I want to say. Like, it was just, they were totally overpowering teams. And we haven't seen that this year. I mean, they had the one 10-run game on opening day. Since then, I don't think they've scored more than seven. And I think it's only been seven, like, three times. So we're really talking about an offense that hasn't taken off. I like when you and Arden kind of break down numbers and you dive deeper than most people dive into those numbers. The run differential really strikes me right now, given the contrast to last year and the run. Like, is there some sort of like baseball karma happening here? Like, how do you see the minus 10 run differential on a 17 and 13 team versus what you saw last year? Well, it does reinforce they've actually been a little bit lucky this year, and you'll take it, right? Anytime you can have some luck paired with talent take it because it's a long season you are going to face adversity so there's nothing wrong with getting a little bit lucky because you know there could be times later in the season where it goes the other way so you know by and large the Jays have taken advantage of that I think this weekend in Cleveland we saw a little bit of a different story where you know they're in these close games and yesterday is kind of the perfect example where Simber gives up a home run for the first time since September then you end up you know just not being able to score and and this is where you know, to me, it does come back to the offense. And I still think they're going to score. Like, to me, this is still an elite offensive team in Major League Baseball. But they're not scoring right now. Um, I think by the end of the year, they are way plus in that run differential. But to be 17 and 13 for having some trouble scoring, uh, you know, I think that it's still a good spot. All right. So one of the hallmarks of this team has been how loosey-goosey they are, how much fun they have in the dugout, how much fun they have in the clubhouse. If If... If it doesn't go well against these two teams this week, might we start seeing some nerves in that clubhouse where expectations all of a sudden change what it is they are? It's hard to imagine, right? Like yeah. Teoscar, Vladdy, uh, the way that these guys seem to enjoy hanging out. It, it is hard to imagine. I mean, these are definitely pressure pack games. I, I think that you know, just having been around these guys and, and seeing the way that they've interacted with one another for the last few years, I think it'll take more than a couple bad weeks for them to lose the kind of edge they have and the kind of um, enjoyment that they, they get from one another in the dugout. So I don't think that's going to disappear anytime soon. Uh, you know, ultimately, they, they have to produce. And if they don't produce, then this the vibes around this team will change. But I think the talent is there. And certainly the starting rotation is really made up for a lot of these differences. I mean, for a team that really hasn't yeah. scored, the, the rotation has really pushed them forward. Who's who, who's impressed you the most? And that's, say, I was going to say, like, as, in the, as I'm asking this question, I'm thinking, like, how do you choose between Gossman and Manoa? This is an unfair question. Oh, yeah. To me, it's actually easy. Yeah. I think it's Gossman. Yeah, really? I, I think it's Gossman. I mean, because Manoa has been really good, but we saw that last year. So I'm used to this version of Alec You're Manoa. used to a 175 year <laughs> yeah. and a whip under nine? Like, yeah, uh, I know. It's it's wild, right? But I, but I am. It's yeah. all we've seen from him. He yeah. arrived in the majors good, and he stayed really good. So I'm okay. less surprised by it. That's, like, that's me, like a great pat on the back. Yeah, yeah. it, it yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, he's he deserves a lot of them the way he's pitched. But, you know, with Gosman, you know, after watching him for the Orioles, I think that's still kind of imprinted in my mind um, after seeing that for years. Right. But now he's really 
you know, just a different pitcher. I think he's actually better than what, what he was in San Francisco last year. And he got Cy Young votes. Like he's, to me, Gosman is one of the best, like, you know, okay, Garrett Cole, Shohei Otani, Justin Verlander, those guys are, are at the top. But I think Gosman is there with them. I just I can't think of a lot of pitchers in the American League who are better than Kevin Gosman. Just look at the schedule that he's faced. As like everyone was worried, can he do it in the AL East? Like he's been doing it in the AL East. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, seeing the way hitters chase his splitter outside the zone, this is sustainable. This is not something that you know. As long as that splitter is working, right. this is not some sort of fluke where it's like, oh, you know, they'll get him the next time out. Like this is this is a recipe that can be used over and over all right health always plays a factor over the marathon that is 162 any bodies this week uh, expected to return well danny jansen should get closer i mean he he was really making progress in toronto last week um hitting um so he could be on a rehab assignment this week but to me ryu is probably the big one and he's probably going to pitch in tampa on the weekend at some point um to you know they're kind of figuring out the rotation and how that's going to fit together but i would expect ryu back stripling to kind of piggyback at that point and see where that goes all right uh, mini two gamers starting tomorrow at yankee stadium I-, I gotta get your take i mean listen i think you were in studio when i turned to you and said like listen nestor cortez looks like he's real and then he goes out today and he delivers another masterpiece like is the starting pitching the difference is it what the big boys are doing in this lineup what's making the yankees so dangerous right now yeah, it's, I mean, they're, they're playing great, obviously. I think to me, it's the lineup. I, you know, when they were here this past week, you know, you kind of start thinking along with Charlie Montoyo and John Schneider and, okay, how do they get through this lineup, especially once the, the starting pitchers out of the game? And it's tough because, you know, even at the bottom of the lineup, they have Kiner Falefa, who's got great speed, or they'll have, you know, a Glaber Torres or, or LeMahieu off the bench. I mean, it's a really deep offensive group, even beyond judge and stanton and donaldson and hicks so yeah to me this is a slugging team and and so are the jays but you know the yankees are kind of living up to their billing as a slugging team right now so just i I know there's a lot of fans that kind of get into the the single lane highway and watch the jays and look at the standings and say why are they so far behind the yankees but the Yankees have had a much easier schedule to start this season, right? Like six against Baltimore. Uh, they've had Detroit. They've had Kansas City. Like, it, it's not as if they got the murderer's row that the Jays got out of the gate. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, for the Jays next week, they get Cincinnati. That's, you know, obviously the worst team in baseball. That'll be, uh, you know, potentially a chance to make up a few games in the standings. And remember, too, the Jays have not played the Orioles once. So they have a lot of Baltimore Orioles baseball coming up. And that's, I mean, I know they're a little better this year. Their pitching is a little better in Baltimore, but that's still a team that you want to face. So they're in a good position, the Blue Jays are, to be able to make up some of that ground. Um, So, you know, the Yankees did what they had to do. Now it's on the Jays to do what they need to do when they face those weaker teams. All right, before I let you go, is this how it ends for Joey Votto? I can't imagine it is. I I think there's some, I think there's something more for Joey Votto. I mean, he's ugly. It's been, yeah, it's been a rough start, but you know, he started poorly last year too. And then he, and he bounced back and became, you know, 900 OPS, 30 Homer hitter. So I'm not saying he's going to get there, but I think he's got, no, I, just I think mean, he's like, got a good season. I'm with you too. Like, I don't think he's going to stay where he is right now, which is, which is pretty ugly. What I'm saying is like that team sucks. Like <laughs> do they, they need to trade him or do something where it's like here, go be Ray Bork for a little while. 
They should. Yeah. They should. I mean, that, that would be awesome. Um, it would be awesome to have them here in Toronto. I mean, that's been a pipe dream of fans for years. I think that'd be, that'd be great. Um, we'll see if that ever gets anywhere. But yeah, he deserves the chance to go out on a, on a more competitive team than 4-23. and 23. Uh, career average of 300 OPS, 931. Uh, he's just been unbelievable, and it would suck that he's going to be on a, what, 5-32 and 32 team for whatever the hell the rest of the season will be for Cincinnati. Anyways, Benny, love catching up with you. Thanks for doing this. Uh, we'll talk baseball again soon. Great. Thanks, Tim. All right, there is Ben Nicholson-Smith from the BNS Studios where he records at the letters. Uh, if you're not doing baseball and following him, you're doing it wrong. Time for a break. Last call, Jesse Rubinoff. You can hear him clicking on his computer. Can you hear him clicking on his computer? Oh, is that he's getting, loud? He's getting things ready for last call on his computer, and there is a lot to get to. We'll do it all next. Please stay with us. It's our livelihood. Welcome back on Monday. Tim the Cat goes to another great weekend for Canadian women's soccer. Yesterday, the U-17 team beat Puerto Rico. I had a button for that. I can't find it. 3 nothing to secure a place in the upcoming FIFA Women's Under-17 World Cup. Meanwhile, senior women's team members Jesse Fleming celebrated her second straight Women's Super League title with Chelsea. It is the third straight title for Chelsea and fifth overall. So congratulations to Jesse Fleming and the Canadian women's U-17 for making it to the World Cup. Yes, indeed. All right, Jesse Rubinoff takes over. You heard the voice, now you see the face. Last call, Ruby. Click, click, click. Uh, we were talking combat sports off the top of the show a little bit. You had mentioned, you know, we oh, talked Canelo. Canelo the knockout, yeah. The knockout. Um, this picture has been making the rounds uh, of Michael oh, Chandler's knockout oh, of Tony Ferguson. Come on. Um, oh. I don't even have a, I don't have a question or anything about that. I just thought no. we'd observe. Like that is just. That look, you, that, you know what that looks like? It looks like a cartoon. It looks like a cartoon yeah. character of someone who was meant to make your nightmare or your dreams turn into nightmares. It that aged like him. Something. That kick aged him 40 years, 50 years. Have, I, I don't know if I've ever <laughs> seen a knockout like this. No, that was an all-timer. That was an all-timer. And, and you feel for, like, Tony Ferguson's career seems like it might be done. Yeah. And, like, I... Part of me hates the celebration after something. Like, and I know, like, listen, Michael Chandler's in there trying to fight. Michael Chandler is in there trying to make his career, put food on the table, and he's doing But when, when I see the dance over a guy who looks like his career is going that way, it hurts. Mm -hmm. Like, it literally hurts me inside to see that, even though you know it should be like, oh, God. Yeah. I, I mean, you just, <laughs> you wonder when these guys get knocked out like that, it, they're all vicious, but that one was particularly vicious. It's scary. Yeah. Like, you don't care who you are watching, if you're a fan of the sport, whatever. Everyone in that moment is like, wow. Yeah. Like, that's scary. Like, you're watching backflips on, right. the, on the canvas, and you're thinking, like, is this, is this guy, gonna this guy okay? Yeah. Like, are we going to see him? Uh, that was my first thought, yes. but I understand what it is. Unbelievable. You know what photo, it's always though. been. Yeah, crazy photo. Uh, okay, let's go to Denis Shapovalov, who advanced to the second round of the Rome Masters with a three-set win over home favorite Lorenzo Sonigo earlier today. But Shapovalov, who has history of questionable on-court behavior, oh God. absolutely lost his cool after he was, set, he was assessed a point penalty for crossing the net to argue a call. Check it out.
Well, Sonigo is convinced this is missed. Dennis, listen, because you crossed the net, you're going to get another code violation. That's a point penalty. Because you can't cross the oh, net. Wait, come on, I was just showing you. No, I know, but you have to stay on this side. I was just showing you the I know, I know what you were doing. I know, but unfortunately... Like, that's a meme forever, right? Yes. Like he was and he's just got to take a line. moment here. And when you I think of where that will be used. Well, this guy with the hair right above the Balmora. What is he doing? He's going like this to me. Okay. 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 I'm, I'm not going to kick him out. Because I didn't, I didn't see what he was doing. I saw, I saw you talking to him, and you're incited in a little bit. And I understand you're frustrated, but I totally get it. But... <laughs> Yikes. Uh, so after the match, Shapovalov apologized and vowed to be better, but he did do that, what you just watched. Uh, what did you make of it? He's got to grow up. Like I, the, the one thing I don't know is, does this fuel him? Does this make him better? Some guys play better angry. Like, like McEnroe. You, yeah, you've been around them your whole life. You yeah. know that there are very few. There are very few. Way more are negatively affected by anger and losing your temper. But there are a very few, and McEnroe is definitely one of them. You've played with them in whatever sport you've played, where they get better when they're angry. Sherwin Benton, high school football. People used to get say things to make him angry because we knew he played better when he was angry. And I don't know if Chapel thinks that this motivates him, but it doesn't come off all that well. <laughs> no, now, to say the least. No, like he, you're going to be a meme forever, and I'm sure he's embarrassed when it's all done but if it motivates him and makes him play wetter then then maybe maybe you're the bad boy but it hasn't worked for curios i'll tell you that much yeah he's just not gonna make fans right that, yeah but who cares if it sure yeah. yeah if you're better like that who cares but that right there like playing an italian and then telling the italian it's, fans it's, to shut the Bleep up. Oh, it's so good. It, it certainly seems Am I like the only one right. that doesn't really care and I just kind of laugh at it? Like, you need to grow up and all those things, and I don't want my kid doing that, but... <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. It's entertaining. Yeah, yeah I laughed ridiculous. the first time I saw it. Uh, I, I think you're onto something there because it is, it is a pattern. This is not obviously the first time that this no, has happened. No, when we first saw him, from he it, smashed a ball at an umpire. Kind of by accident. Uh, okay, big news out of European soccer. It appears that Erling Holland is set to join Manchester City after they agreed to a 75 million euro transfer deal with Borussia Dortmund. Tim, I know you've always been a fan of Holland. Is this a good move for him? You, you you never know. It looks good. I mean, listen, his dad played for Man City. Uh, the rich get richer is a very apt and profound way of putting this. Man City looks like they're in their driver's seat and they get one of the best strikers in the world. But sometimes things happen. I thought Paul Pogba going to England was a no-brainer. It hasn't worked out to be a no-brainer. There are some things that just don't work. But is Dortmund, like, listen, this isn't the first time. Like, that's a lot of money for him. But they lose a guy who, I mean, I guess they've lost him before. Pulisic, 
uh, Lewandowski, Aubameyang, like they just keep doing this. And there's, there's always a part of me that wonders like, do you keep one of them? But if you just, I mean, if you're the Montreal Expos, you stay competitive, although you can never beat Bayern Munich. <laughs> if you stay competitive, is this like, is this the ultimate? Or once in a while, do you just have to keep one of them? Because Holling is real deal, looks like he is yeah. unbelievable. And having a dad who played now. there may give you an idea of what you're walking into. Um, this, this is one that, this is what makes football amazing because you never know how it's going to translate. Mm -hmm. This seems like this is a, like strikers usually translate. Sort of usually. like the, the Tampa Bay Rays where they just sort of recycle players or yeah, find Tampa. ways to stay competitive yeah. when you're Tampa's losing your top tier talent. analogy for Borussia Dortmund, without yeah. a doubt. Uh, okay. It is the modern day Expos. The mo modern day Expos, yes. Uh, according to a report, the Raptors would be among the teams interested in Rudy Gobert should the Jazz choose to trade the three-time Defensive Player of the Year after Utah lost to the Mavs in the first round. There's been plenty of speculation that either Gobert or Donovan Mitchell will be moved. Would Gobert be a good fit for the Raptors? Okay, first off, the reason why I kept wanting to talk about the Jazz on this show, and you know this from my, my morning email, is yep. because I, you could tell that if this didn't work this year, it was going to be blown up like you knew they would. Call the crib, same number, same hood. It's either Mitchell or it's Gobert, and Gobert would be a good fit for the Toronto Raptors, depending on who they gave up. But if you look at this roster, the Toronto Raptors have a couple pieces that they could move here. I mean, if you're not married to Gary Trent Jr. or OG Ananobi. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. You get a defensive big. I just feel like uh, with Masai, you rarely ever hear about moves that he's going to make beforehand. So it's probably not going to happen. Because this is a rumor already? Yeah. Uh, okay, it was not a pleasant Mother's Day for Chris Paul. Not only did CP3 struggle in the Suns' loss to the Mavs on Sunday in Dallas, a Mavs fan was ejected from the game for reportedly, quote, putting hands on Paul's mother, who was watching the game from behind the Suns' bench alongside uh, Paul's wife and children. Today, the Mavs released a statement following an investigation into the incident saying that two unruly fans attempted to give hugs and have unwanted conversations with the Paul family and that the fans have been banned from the arena until 2023. Suns coach Monty Williams suggested that the league should have a section in the stands reserved for visiting players' families. Do you like that idea? First off, like, this ever-evolving story just feels weird. The, the way the kid was rattled when he was walked out of the arena yeah. made me feel like there was more to this story than initially anticipated. Like you were expecting like a big person who looked like physically intimidating doing, but this kid just looked rattled. Um, and yes, I think that there should be an area, but let's be honest, where they're sitting is usually Gucci Row. Like these are really <laughs> expensive true. seats, right? Yeah. I mean, like this kid wanted none of that smoke. Yeah. Whatever the smoke was, this kid wanted none of it. He did not want to meet Chris Paul 15 no. minutes later. I'll tell you yeah. That. Chris Paul said, I'll see you later. Yeah. And that kid looked no. like he did not want I'll to see leave. him later. I'll yeah. leave. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm going. <laughs> Mom? Mom? <laughs> All right, so that's good. it for us. Uh, here's what's on tap tonight. Monday Night Raw coming up 8 Eastern on Sportsnet 360. Rangers and Pens about to get going on Sportsnet and CBC. Followed by Game 4, Flames and Stars. Doubleheader on Sportsnet 1 as well. Panthers, at, Panthers caps, abs, preds, whatever you're watching. Have a great night. We will talk to you again tomorrow on Tim and Friends.